Why does this Facebook scandal feel so much different than any of the other Facebook scandals? Well, what a week to be working in social media. If you manage social media channels for your nonprofit, or if you're on them in your personal life, or even if you just pay attention to the news, then you have undoubtedly heard about Francis Haugen, the Facebook whistleblower. If you don't know who Francis Haugen is, I do recommend listening to the six-part Wall Street Journal podcast series, The Facebook Files, or you could just Google the 13-minute segment on 60 Minutes. So what I'm not going to do today, I'm not going to debate the merits of her claims. All of the findings and files and memos that she leaked were written by Facebook executives and their very own internal research team. The validity of the information that she brought to the SEC and to Congress is not up for debate. The claim here is that, as Haugen says, Facebook's products harm children stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, she said, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. So for social media managers, I don't think that we're very surprised, but this is a lot to take in what to do next with this information. And that's what I want to talk about today. This is where true introspection and contemplation comes in. And many of you will roll your eyes and say, oh, really, Julia, you're so naive. Do you really think that Facebook had your best interest at heart? And, you know, I'm not stupid, but I'm not entirely cynical either. And the merits and benefits of Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp are topics that I talk about on the regular with my clients and students. Facebook is a trillion dollar business. It's 17 years old. It has 2.8 billion users. That is 60% of all internet connected people on earth. Last year, it brought in $86 billion across all of its properties. So we know this, and I talk about this all the time. It answers to its shareholders, not to its users, and certainly not to nonprofits. We don't own the content we publish on Facebook. And a common refrain from fundraisers is that we don't get the data about the people who give to us via Facebook. So no, I don't think we're going into this relationship with rose-colored glasses but we also have to recognize the symbiotic relationship we all seem to have with one or more of these platforms, including WhatsApp. So WhatsApp is the most popular global messenger app worldwide with 2 billion monthly active users. And it's the third most popular social network worldwide following Facebook and YouTube. Billions rely on it to connect with their international friends and family. Reporter Aura Bogato wrote on Twitter, the repercussions of WhatsApp being down in the rest of the world are vast and devastating. It's like the equivalent of your phone and the phones of all your loved ones being turned off without warning. The app essentially functions as an unregulated utility. I think that's super important, an unregulated utility. 
and Instagram. Don't get me started on Instagram. I love it personally myself. I have a 12 year old daughter. She asks me weekly if she can get on Instagram. Uh, Facebook's own research says that 13.5% of teenage girls say that Instagram makes thoughts of suicide worse. And 17% of teen girls say that Instagram makes eating disorders worse. Facebook said just last week that thankfully it's going to hold off on plans to make an Instagram for younger users. And I get chills and a stomach ache just, just thinking about this, navigating this. So what does it all mean and where do we go from here? So I'm going to tell you what I found and what I think. The question that I'm getting left and right, and one that I have actually posed in my Facebook group, Nonprofit Social Media Storytelling, and on my JC Social Marketing Facebook page, are you planning on leaving Facebook and Instagram? Here's what I found. These are just some comments from the group. Nope. Facebook and Instagram are major sources of fundraising and support for us. No, but I hope that they grow a conscience or receive regulations to help them be better. I've been thinking of leaving Facebook for a while, but it's how I connect with peers and family. I live in Greece, so it's very hard to stay connected otherwise. I feel like too many organizations have become way too reliant on a free platform that could shut down at any moment without warning. Yes. We are considering this right now. However, we've been trying for a while to build our audience on other platforms. We can't leave Facebook all together. No, for all the bad, Facebook and other social media channels also do a lot of good. Those are the comments inside my Facebook group. Now I'm going to read some of the comments from thought leaders in the industry that were generous enough to respond to my post, my public post on my Facebook page. So Cherry and Koshi says, I don't think it's necessary to leave, but I worry about feeding the moral bankruptcy. I've been spending a lot less time here. Absolutely. Dave Tinker says, I realize that they're using my data that I purposely kept incorrect for profit since free is never free. However, it's a nice reminder that people will abuse power and lie through their teeth about it. Ugh. Aaron says they provide the best amplification of messages and tools to target potential clients, attendees, and volunteers at the best cost. Jill says, I find that Facebook and Instagram are necessary evil like Xfinity, my internet provider. I'm grateful that there are people like Francis. Jill, me too. I hope her whistleblowing leads to legislative action. Facebook and Instagram will always choose profit over consumer health and safety. Oh, Beth Cantor says, I have not left, obviously, and their behavior, profits over people, has been in the media before. Several years ago, I've stopped my professional page and buying ads and reduced my engagement here. N10 stopped updating and engaging here a while ago. So if you go to nten.org, they do have a blog post about how they've said goodbye to Facebook. I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, and they did that publicly and, and to much, to much debate accolades, congratulations. I don't know. Kivy LaRoe Miller. I saw this email Kivy, and I was thinking of you today. 
We are pulling out all of our nonprofit marketing guide work from groups posted about it today. That's at nonprofitmarketingguide.com. I'll still be here on a personal level because that's where a lot of my non-work communities are. Antoinette Care, she says, sadly, those of us in the media can't leave because a lot of readers will still be here. Very, very true. Um, absolutely love it. So everyone's still kind of pondering this pro this problem. And actually I've gotten a lot more comments since I started recording. Kathy says, I've been grappling with this exact thought puzzle, but we've not left. Haugen's revelations make it clear, but I'm not surprised at what was revealed. We try to minimize our use of Amazon and similar large vendors. We try to diversify our social media to all platforms and especially emphasize our email list. But so far, a lot of growing our list for supporters, donors, and volunteers is still through Facebook and Instagram, still pondering this problem. Oh, Jackie, we're still staying on both Instagram and Facebook for now, but keeping an eye on government impacts as well as user behaviors. I think worse than the idea that they care so little for consumers is that they know the negative impact on teens and kept feeding the beast. I find this disturbing and very hard to abide. So I think the point is we're all going through an existential crisis here, but here's what I think, okay, in talking to nonprofits and talking to people in business and talking to social media experts, I think that, I mean, it's very clear that Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, they just never in a maturative, maturative, in a mature way moved past where they had to continually show growth and financial viability to their venture capital investors. Because when you start a business like Facebook, you have to show constant, 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 constant growth, or you lose your venture capital funding. So at the early stages, that's exactly what they were trying to do. So what's interesting about Facebook is that Apple, I'm not a gigantic fan of Apple. They're still a ruthless global capitalist enterprise. <laughs> Let's be clear, but they're a more responsible corporate citizen. Apple made the transition and it now behaves more responsibly. So for example, it took Apple threatening Facebook that it would pull Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp from the app store if Facebook did not take control over the human trafficking situation that was going on on their platforms. So it took Apple threatening Facebook to make a change in that way. We know that Facebook will not do anything that sacrifices growth um, and user engagement. I mean, even if that growth means using groups to organize massacres and sell children into prostitution, we know this, right? And we have to either come to terms with this or... Well, I'll give you some more solutions in a minute. But in 2018, the United Nations found that Facebook played a determining role enabling Myanmar's genocide against Rohingya Muslims. If that's not a damning account, and if we didn't leave in 2018, then I don't know what we're going to do. So I agree with Francis. I agree with Francis Haugen that breaking up Facebook isn't the answer. Um, splitting Instagram and WhatsApp off from Facebook will not solve the problem. It's not going to solve the most complicated issues, which are 
how to moderate speech on any individual platform and shutting it down is not the answer. There are other social media sites. Something else will pop up. What Haugen said, I think is very, um, it's just, it's very insightful. She told lawmakers that breaking up Facebook would not solve the main problem, the algorithms themselves. And Facebook and most social media sites prioritize engagement over all else. So she said, and I quote, a company with such frightening influence over so many people over their deepest thoughts, feelings, and behavior needs real oversight, she said. These systems are going to continue to exist and be dangerous, even if broken up. Quitting for many nonprofits, that's not the answer. As I just read to you, a lot of my clients, a lot of my students, they can't leave. They found a way to connect with supporters and to raise money. A Facebook update in February 2020 said that people have now raised over $3 billion for personal fundraisers and nonprofit causes on Facebook. I don't think quitting is the answer. So what's the solution? Well, I am not an expert and I'm not a whistleblower, but I have a few ideas and I actually agree with Haugen on a lot of her recommendations. Government oversight is key. So Congress has the ability to establish a new regulatory agency that will or would be able to audit Facebook's algorithms. I want to reiterate that I do not want to split up Facebook. I did initially, but now that I've been reading more about it, social media experts and the whistleblower herself, they all reiterate that if you split up Facebook, this is just going to create three separate entities, each with the same challenges and fewer resources to solve those problems. So you're going to have to spread the problem out even further. Transparency is a critical starting point for effective regulation and full access to data for research, not directed by Facebook. So this isn't sexy as splitting it up or making Zuck resign, but leading experts agree it's the first step to meaningfully regulate Facebook. And this includes the algorithm. So we want to go under the hood, as my own Senator Ed Markey said, of the algorithmic black box, which is completely a mystery to so, so, so many people. These algorithms control the speech of over 2 billion people, and they need to be further explored and they need to be regulated. So, what about Section 230? So, Section 230. Google it, the landmark internet law. Um, it shields tech companies from being sued for for most kinds of illegal content that their users post on the platform. So it exempts online companies from being sued for allowing users to post whatever they want. So they can't be sued if a user posts, you know, about the um, insurrection or hate speech. They can remove it if they want, but they don't have to. And the second part of Section 230 is that online companies can't be sued by users when they take down their posts. This is huge. So Trump cannot sue Facebook or Twitter, right? You can't sue Facebook if they carry hate speech 
that somehow results in someone you love being killed in a riot. Okay. And if they do take down the hate speech, the person who posted it can't sue them. So they're basically protected from absolutely everything. The key here though, is we obviously need to reform section 230, but I want to quote Haugen again, because I really think that she has the best input on this. She says, Facebook wants to trick you into thinking that privacy protections or changes to Section 230 alone will be sufficient. While important, they will not get to the core of the issue, which is that no one truly understands the destructive traits of Facebook except for Facebook. We can afford nothing less than full transparency. End quote. So I leave it up to you. We all need to make personal and professional decisions here. Should we leave the platforms en masse? Should we call on our elected officials to create regulations that would save lives and protect the vulnerable? So you've heard what I have to say. Now I want to hear from you. Tag me on Twitter at Julia C. Social and let me know what you think the future holds for Facebook. Are you using it or not? and why. All right. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for a brand new episode.